Pastor Wade Cox has been out on vacation this week, and he'll be back in the office on Monday. You know, as, as a preacher who's been preparing a sermon all week, my biggest fear is that, you know, no one will come to church. And, um, and uh, this week, as the Germantown water issues kept dragging on and on, I was like, that's it. Everybody's going to stay home because they couldn't take a shower. And so, so if you need to separate from each other or, you know, give each other some space, please do so. For those of you who have taken algebra at some point in your life, do you remember parabolas? You know, the X and the Y axis with the U-shaped curve that's symmetrical on both sides? In other words, one side of the curve is a mirror of the other side. Well, the word parable, as in the stories told by Jesus, is derived from the word parabola, literally meaning throwing alongside something that mirrors something else. So a parable is a fictional story that reflects a truth. I invite you to read with me this morning's scripture. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 13 and verses 24 through 30. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible this morning. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like someone who planted good seed in his field. While people were sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and went away. When the stalk sprouted and bore grain, then the weeds also appeared. The servants of the landowner came and said to him, Master, didn't you plant good seed in your field? Then how is it that it has weeds? An enemy has done this, he answered. The servants said to him, Do you want us to go and gather the weeds? But the landowner said, No, because if you gather the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with them. Let both grow side by side until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll say to the harvesters, First, gather the weeds and tie them together in bundles to be burned. But bring the wheat into my barn. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you own a home with a yard, you know all about weeds. Let me kill your weeds, is what the man from Herbisystems says on TV. There's an entire industry dedicated to eradicating weeds. It seems to be our national pastime. Where did these weeds come from, is the perennial human cry. And literally, my wife was screaming that in the backyard just this weekend. I read a question in an advice column in the newspaper one time, back when that was a thing, and I used to get a newspaper. It seems that a family had some relatives come from out of town to stay at their home for a few days. The homeowners had built a beautiful stone path in their backyard that led back to a flower garden. And around each of the stones in the path, they had been trying to get moss to grow, you know, that bright green furry stuff so that it outlined all of the stones in the path. They'd been working at growing the moss for a few years, and it was finally starting to look pretty good. Well, it seems that one day while the homeowners were at work, their guest, who had stayed at the house without them that day, decided to do something nice as a way of saying thanks for their relative's hospitality. So they spent the morning weeding the backyard. And by weeding, 
I mean they pulled up every single piece of moss surrounding the stones in the path. And when the homeowners returned that evening, their guests were so proud to show them what they had done to be helpful. And the homeowners were, to say the least, upset that the guests had destroyed what had taken them now years of work. Often our first instinct when we see something we view as wrong or out of place is to dig it up, weed it out, to eradicate it. But our parable this morning seems to say that we should have a different instinct toward these weeds. Let's call it a second instinct. Because it's hard to know what's a weed and what's not sometimes. So what should our second instinct be? Hold on to that question. The parable of the wheat and the weeds is part of a cluster of parables that has to do with God's kingdom. It's also one of several that has to do with seeds and agriculture. Over and over again, Jesus' point is that the kingdom of God is never quite what you might expect. The parable of the sower that we heard last Sunday made clear that although the seed of God's word is powerful enough to change the world, it it is at the same time oddly vulnerable. It can be snatched away by birds, burned up by the sun, choked out by thorns. And in today's reading, Jesus seems to be saying that God's kingdom may never exist in its purest form exactly the way we think it should, but it's okay because God's got this. And to make that point, Jesus tells a parable. A farmer carefully plants an entire field of wheat. His furrows were pinned straight His weed seeds were of the finest quality. His wheat seeds, excuse me. He did it all right and went to bed that night content that he had done nothing wrong. He could ensure that a bumper crop was headed down the road sometime in the months to come. But while he was sleeping, an enemy came and with equal care planted weed seeds in the same furrows. Worse, the weeds he planted were something that in the original Greek is called darnel, which looks almost identical to wheat. But if you don't separate the darnel from the wheat before grinding, the resulting flour will be inedible, actually poisonous. Hence the crisis. So once the wheat starts to grow, the farmer's hired hands notice the presence of the weeds, and what's more, they see it growing almost as uniformly as the wheat itself. And in a panic, the servants ask the farmer if he wants them to go and start plucking out these dreaded weeds. It was the logical thing to do. The last thing you wanted was for the darnel to go to seed, because then even next season, you'd still have a field full of weed seeds. But contrary to all good sense, the farmer tells the hired hands to leave it be. They'd sort it all out later at the harvest. If Jesus' listeners knew anything about farming, and presumably a lot of Jesus' audience did know about such things, then the shock of this story is the idea that any farmer would do nothing about such a situation, at least not right away. But that's probably a clue that this story is not about agriculture, but instead it's about theology. 
It's about the kingdom of God. Alice McKenzie states that Matthew was writing his gospel to a mixed Jewish and Gentile congregation, and neither group wanted to accept the other. Each viewed the other as weeds and themselves as wheat. Perhaps the Jewish Christians felt that since they were the sons and daughters of Abraham, that surely they were the wheat and the Gentile Christians were an obstacle to their growth. Perhaps the Gentile Christians felt like they were the wheat with the freedom from the old rules and that the Jewish Christians were an obstacle to their growth. If we can't be quite sure who is a weed and who is wheat, then we're better off not touching anything. What are the weeds in your life? What do you want to pull up to get rid of, to toss into the fire? Since the beginning of this year, I've been more or less stuck in the weeds. Most of you know I had heart surgery to replace my aortic valve a few months ago, and while the surgery went well, my recovery has not been a straight line. I've had some lingering rhythm problems which have led to a host of medications, each of which have worse side effects than the problems they're supposed to fix. And my first instinct has been to just stop taking all my medications. But I have learned that there will be consequences to that decision. Most of us know what it's like to be living among the weeds. And this week during the power outages, I was surrounded by weeds in the form of drivers at disabled travel traffic lights who don't understand how to no navigate a four-way stop. And I cry out, pull them off the roads, take away their driver's licenses. And Emory, I saw on Facebook that you agreed with me on that. <laughs> Emory and I are the weed among the weeds this week. A pastor once asked a class of children at Sunday school, if all the good people in the world were blue and all the bad people were red, what color would you be? And a little girl happily and honestly replied, Pastor, I'd be purple. And when I first read that illustration, that was my first thought too. Purple. If I'm being honest, sometimes I'm wheat, sometimes a weed, sometimes I'm welcome and wanted, Oftentimes, I'm a nuisance and out of place. Have you ever been in a high-end store where you knew you couldn't or shouldn't afford anything, but you wanted to go in and look around anyway? But the whole time you felt like an imposter, you had this feeling that everyone around you could tell that you didn't belong in that store. We know firsthand what it is to feel out of place. And yet our first instinct, especially of us in the church, is to put up a wall between us and others. That's the problem with red and blue, with wheat and weeds, with constantly trying to put people in categories. It sends a continual message that some people are welcome and others are not, which is contrary to the message of God's kingdom and contrary to the mission of the church. The farmer in the parable seems to believe that the weeds themselves won't threaten the wheat. The two are capable of growing together. The weeds do not threaten the growth of the wheat, but instead the threat comes from how we react to the weeds. 
The danger is not being in the presence of sin, but in trying to root out all the sin that we see. But that means that the real challenge presented to the church by Matthew 13 is finding the strength to resist the temptation to take matters into our own hands and start yanking up every sinful thing we see every time we see it. In verse 30, when the farmer tells the servants just to let things be, the Greek word used there is the same word used in the Lord's Prayer and elsewhere for forgiveness. And it can't be coincidence that Matthew's gospel, along with its insistence on obedience to Jesus, also highlights the need for compassion and forgiveness. Our unwillingness to forgive others, Matthew says, blocks our ability to receive divine forgiveness. It turns us into weeds because we don't always know what we're looking at. We want to be both judge and jury. But in this parable, we are invited to be neither. We're called to just wait, to be patient, to let the wheat and the weeds grow alongside each other because in the end, it's God's decision, not ours. God will decide at harvest. Like the house guests who pulled up all the moss around the stones, too often we think we are doing good when really we are causing damage. The truth is we all have our blind spots. Remember the story about the speck and the plank in the eye? The point there was that we often think sins we don't have are worse than the ones we do. We are more ready to correct someone else's bad behavior than pay much attention to our own. But Jesus gives us pause. Jesus tells us to wait and reminds us that we are not equipped to see the depth of anyone else's heart. If hospitality is at the top of our to-do list, if loving neighbors with the same energy with which we love God is our mode of operating, then our approach to sin has to be different from pointing fingers and tossing folks out. Ultimately, judgment is God's job and not ours, because we don't know enough. We can't love enough. We won't care enough to judge rightly. It might also be argued that trying to take over God's job here is the ultimate lack of faith. We don't think that God will deal with sin in a way that we would like God to do, so we'll step in and handle it. Instead, Jesus calls us to trust that God is still in charge. Jesus calls us to trust that even though it appears that goodness and righteousness and living a life of love is simply a recipe for being taken advantage of, God's way is still a better way to be. God's way is a more whole, more sustaining, more satisfying way to live. But that still leaves the question, what do we do about sin? Well, we live a life of righteousness in a public way, so that those who have not yet found the way to God can see in us the power of Christ. The water of life welling up in springs. So no, we don't turn our backs on sin. We overpower it. 
we counteract it with love, not judgment. We transform even as we are being transformed through hospitality and grace, not hatred and exclusion. We heal even as we are being healed through acceptance and hope, not condemnation and exile. We tend even as we are being tended ourselves. If you've ever seen the musical Wicked, you know what it is to discover that maybe that which we thought was evil is really not as bad as we first thought, and that which we thought was good was maybe not as good as it seemed. The story of Wicked is the prequel to The Wizard of Oz. And when Dorothy triumphed over the Wicked Witch of the West, we only heard her side of the story. But the musical tells the origin story of the green-skinned Wicked Witch of the West, Elphaba, and the beautiful and blonde Galinda, the Good Witch. They've been placed together as college roommates. And it's such an odd pairing that there's a lot of conflict between the two of them. Neither one of them enjoys being with the other. They could not be more different from one another. But as the years go by, they realize what an impact that they have had on each other. And in the culminating moment of the musical, they sing to each other a song of friendship and forgiveness. And here are some of the words. It may well be that we will never meet again in this lifetime. So let me say before we part, so much of me is made of what I learned from you. You will be with me like a handprint on my heart. And now whatever way our stories end, I know you have rewritten mine by being my friend. Who can say if I've been changed for the better, but because I knew you, I have been changed for good. And we, the audience, know that both have been changed for the better because we have witnessed their transformation. Our war on good and evil is often a war on same as us and different from us. That which makes us feel easy and those things which make us uncomfortable. Apples and oranges. Or as the dad in my big fat Greek wedding says, we all different, but in the end, we all fruit. Jesus has said that when the time to sort it out all comes, what ends up in the owner's barn will be what ends up in the owner's barn. And none of it will be up to us. It will be up to the owner of the field. So back to that question I asked earlier, if the point of the parable is to tell us that our first instinct is to pull up all the weeds is wrong, then what should our second instinct, instinct be? Our second instinct should be to go ahead and plant good stuff and encourage it to grow, to be patient as God is patient with us, to work with our neighbors as we grow good things together, to worry first about our own behavior instead of others, to be forgiving as God has and is forgiving us. We can nurture, we can water, and we can welcome in. Amen.